Hello and welcome to the Venture Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavadivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. Hello, VentureForth listeners. We're back this week with more ICO fervor and excitement from Alan Milligan, founder and CEO of White Rabbit. He's our first guest joining us from Europe. White Rabbit is a browser plugin that recognizes the content that you watch, allowing you to reward the films and series you stream, ensuring that artists receive their fair share. He's also the CEO and producer at Film Farms, an international film production company based in Norway that has earned recognition at some of the world's most prestigious film festivals, including a big win at Cannes in 2015. Most people don't know this, but back in the 80s, my parents owned and ran one of the first Bay Area video stores, counting regulars like George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and the late Robin Williams, as well as other not as famous as they are today names as customers. I've always been fascinated by the industry and fantasized about Hollywood stardom that would never come. In college, I had many friends who pirated movies and music over the internet and got busted. Fortunately, the extent of punishment stopped with the cease and desist letters, but it was clear that there was something very wrong with how the MPAA and RIA handled things. Music rights management and compensation for creators has been foobar for way too long, so I'm excited to learn more about how Alan is working to solve this problem with White Rabbit. They've got an upcoming ICO to turn the future of the movie industry on its head. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, before we dive into White Rabbit, I'd love to kick things off by learning about your background and history as an entrepreneur. Sure. I was in the uh, actually was working in American politics for a while first. Uh, I was uh, working in Washington D.C. right out of university. Uh, after a year of that, I left uh, because I felt that it was it was tough to do what you had to do, wanted to do, without having to compromise yourself in any in any way. You kind of became a different version of yourself. That was kind of the climate. Uh, then uh, later, studied business instead uh, and came back home to Norway and started up with a software company called uh, Milbros Software. Uh, and that uh, was a chemical information system for chemical tankers that allowed them to transport chemicals safety, safely at sea. And that's now become the industry standard in the business. It's a $2.3 tr- trillion dollar business. Uh, and ensures, uh, you know, it's installed on hundreds of uh, operational chemical tankers around the world. Uh, and uh, we sold that in 2008. So that was my first dive into software. Uh, and after I sold it, I decided to go into film. And uh, I, just a small story from the anecdote from then is the first meeting I had with a producer, which was in Cannes. And he told me, you know, Alan, if you want to start, if you want to make a small fortune in film, you have to start with the large one. And it was uh, just, a, it was funny at the time, but the truth is that it, that's how it is today. It's very hard for filmmakers, for the producers and investors, if you're not within sort of the Netflix, Amazon uh, world to make uh, a serious uh, money on your, especially your uh, digital rights. And it's very hard nowadays to even get into that. Uh, because you know Netflix is producing more and more of its own content as Amazon, and uh, that's when the idea of White Rabbit started to emerge. When we just simply weren't making enough money off our digital rights. Considering how many people head to Hollywood to realize their dreams of stardom, I'm curious why you decided to do this in Europe. Well, uh, you know it's a global film industry, 
And there's uh, great content coming out of uh, all corners of the globe. And of course, uh, Hollywood uh, has a very special position. Uh, they are about 60-70% of the market. Uh, but there's also a 30% of the market which is non-Hollywood out there. Uh, and these films today are struggling to get global distribution. Uh, they're struggling to get uh, the same type of airtime and possibilities as films that are either on Netflix uh, and they're bought up by a uh, you know for princely sum, or they uh, simply have no digital distributor to go to. They get end up on on iTunes. But the problem there is that you might disappear in sort of the plethora of films that are there available, and you'll get you know a couple of weeks or maybe a week on the on the top list, and then you kind of disappear into the crowd of all those films. So the question for us was, how do we get digital distribution and how do we get recognized? How do people find us? So that's been sort of the, the where, uh, where it comes from. Hollywood has, has its own uh, strategy uh, and they have, of course, great deals with the largest providers. But for all those other films out there, there is still a lot of potential that has not been maximized yet for their IP rights. Actually, quick sidebar. I've always wondered, what does a producer do, actually, in, in the role of ma- process of making a film? Uh, that's a very good question. Most people have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, producers tend, tend to stay behind the, behind the camera as much as possible. You know, it's, it's very different. A producer uh, might have the idea for a film. Maybe you've optioned a book. Maybe you just uh, have a story you want to tell and you, you create it together with a screenwriter. Uh, and then you go about finding a director. And then all the financing, setting the production together, uh, and then, of course, also marketing and distribution of the film. Uh, other times, the director has a brilliant idea, a brilliant script, and they come to you and they say, hey, can you help me make this? Uh, and that's one of the two main avenues that a producer has. So an easy, an easy way to explain it is if you have the best film nomination at an Oscars, for example, that goes to the producer. If it's a best director award, that goes to the director, who is mainly responsible for the uh, creative, uh, overall creative um, responsibility for the film, for shooting the film, and to a, to a, you know a limited extent uh, or a limited limited time extent, uh, editing the film, uh, and then the producer's job is just to bring it back you know from A to Z. So you can say if the producer was the father of the production in the film, then the director would be the mother of the production of the film. Got it. Interesting. Very cool. Thank you so much. So I'm curious, now White Rabbit is your latest project. What is your vision for the uh, White Rabbit and what is the rabbit hole and how does the product and and the coin all work together? It came about because I I tried out Popcorn Time for for my very first time quite late uh, because I was frustrated because I I wanted to watch a a documentary uh, about Kurt Cobain. I was a Nirvana fan as a teenager and I just waited a whole year to see it. And it wasn't coming out here in Norway. So I decided to sort of, okay, forget about it. We'll just try We'll try this popcorn time. And I was amazed at how intuitive it was. The user interface was brilliant. The selection was really good. Uh, so I decided to, uh, you know, I wanted to, after having seen the documentary, which was great, I wanted to uh, pay the producers, but there was no way that I could. Uh, so that's when the idea of White Rabbit came up in that most people today stream peer-to-peer. And if that's where people and the fans are going to stream, why not try to allow them to monetize on the way they prefer to watch film? 
And let's not be so inhibitive towards allowing the fans to access our films, but allow them to pay, prove that they're willing to pay for the films that we provide. And that's how the idea of White Rabbit came about. And it didn't really materialize enough until I heard about blockchain. Uh, when I learned of blockchain, that was kind of a light bulb that went off, uh, off for me because you could clearly cut out all the middlemen, of which there's quite a lot, and you could allow people to stream on the preferred peer-to-peer -peer site and be able to pay the filmmakers directly, uh, especially with Ethereum and uh, smart contracts. That was a huge possibility that, to me, was uh, sort of an obvious given of how to utilize peer-to-peer -peer and how to utilize the power of the, the internet to the benefit of the fans and the filmmakers. And now, as we develop the idea, uh, you know, the challenge is how do we do this legally? And the token is very important in that respect because the White Rabbit token allows you to stream peer-to-peer -peer anonymously and offer the rights holders a token for the, uh, for the content that you've just streamed. Now, if I have a smart contract, White Rabbit has a smart contract with the rights holder, then that payment just, that transaction just happens. If not, then we contact the rights holder after enough tokens have accumulated, and we say, hey, we have 100,000, 200,000, whatever the number of tokens that might be out there of people who have streamed the film who are willing to pay through White Rabbit, and if the um, rights holder accepts the token, he can then go around and, and change that for crypto or, or fiat as they see fit. And they do that by entering into a smart contract. So the White Rabbit token is very important in the fans choosing to watch the films, choosing to pay for the films that they've watched, for the series that they watched, and offering the rights holders a different way to monetize their, their, their IP. So if they choose not to be part of White Rabbit, or perhaps they're not able to because they have sold all the rights or some of the rights, then that token would return back to the uh, token holder. So the rabbit hole is basically the user library. So when you've paid for uh, a film, that film or series will be in your rabbit hole where you can access the highest quality version. Uh, not only that, though, we are opening for third parties to create applications where they can incentivize the fans more, where they can monetize the, the content better. So it could be behind the scenes Q&As, live streams, uh, it could be virtual reality streams, uh, sorry, yeah, virtual reality streams and, and virtual reality cinema, uh, or it could be selling merchandise, for example, so that the, uh, the most dedicated fans are able to get more out of each film and each series that they watch. Interesting. You uh, mentioned that people will be able to stream videos and stuff like that on White Rabbit before you engage with the rights holders. Does that mean that, especially as you compared it to Popcorn Time, does that mean that you will be, I don't know, illegally streaming or hosting that content? Or how, how would people um, be able to get that content before the uh, rights holders are involved? Well, importantly, uh, White Rabbit isn't a streaming service. It's a plugin into your browser so that you can go on to your preferred streaming service, which is peer-to-peer, -peer, and the plugin will recognize the content and allow you to pay the rights holder directly. Uh, so the idea there is uh, that we are not doing anything illegal, and we have no idea who the user is uh, before the token holder, uh, sorry, before the rights holder accepts the token. Uh, so it's really um, uh, sort of adjusting to the way that people uh, stream films today. And the majority of people 
a great majority of people, they stream peer-to-peer. So it's it's allowing fans to interact with films and series how they do today, but then creating a uh, system where whereby each individual film can decide if they will want to monetize peer-to-peer content or not. So we, we don't really create uh, a streaming service. We we accommodate the streaming services that are out there today. So I'm curious about discoverability. Will White Rabbit sort of be that hub for discoverability as well? Uh, not initially, because people are, you know, Popcorn Time, we can use that as an example, are using, for example, Popcorn Time to discover their content uh, regardless. What we do have, whatever, and what we're trying to do is that we are allowing for a larger ecosystem. So you have the rabbit hole, which is that ecosystem, which is kind of the additional content and your library. But it's also what we call the partner streaming sites. And the partner streaming sites are those who stick to the strict rules that we have with White Rabbit, uh, which means that if a content rights holder does not want to join the tokens of, of accepting tokens and entering into a smart contract, the streaming sites would remove and respect the rights holders' wish not to have it out there on peer-to-peer. Uh, and we'll also have quite a number of other uh, quite strict rules for the partner streaming sites. And our idea there is to create, you know, streaming sites or to allow streaming sites to 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 uh, to develop, which are more in- innovative in its user interface or more in- innovative in its search or recommendation, or perhaps they are much more branded. So. Nordic Noir has been popular for, you know, the last 10 years. So if we would have a streaming site which said, you know, we respect the rules uh, and the wishes of the rights holders. If they don't want to be a part of it, we will remove that content. Uh, But we are also a place where producers know uh, this is where their uh, audience is. This is where the target market is. And the fans know if I go to this streaming site, it's White Rabbit. It's 100% legal. Uh, All the films that are available there are through... I have accepted the smart contract, and uh, the fans can more easily find the content that they're looking for. Is the goal to ultimately work with the large studios and the rights and content holders, or potentially to unseat those you know really big power players today entirely, like to decentralize the whole thing? It's definitely uh, an, uh, a wish to uh, decentralize the whole thing and allow fans to choose when and where they want to watch their films. Uh, and of course, Hollywood would probably not be immediately thrilled by this solution. I think we have to show the proof is in the pudding. And that's why we've also clearly envisioned that we will be starting with the non-Hollywood films uh, and making those globally available, globally payable, uh, globally accessible and getting all that additional content. And once the proof is in the pudding, once we show that, and in fact, you make more of streaming pair-to-pair and allowing to pay through White Rabbit, then hopefully also the studios and perhaps one day even Netflix wants to uh, wants to integrate White Rabbit as part of their solution. I want to talk about your branding for a minute because it's really, really distinct and, and really, really unique. And I'm not quite sure how to describe it. It's sort of like, um, like a, almost like a black mirror in a way. Uh, <laughs> what is the inf- inspiration for the very edgy branding? You know, we, we've always uh, said and we say today that we're, we're responsible rebels. Uh, so, you know, clearly our, our influence is definitely Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and this uh, idea of going into another world where uh, you can see things completely differently and you can turn upside down the, the status quo. Uh, so for us, it's very much being uh, wanting to be rebels, 
wanting to re rebel responsibly, and that means taking care of the, f the film industry, means taking care of the filmmakers and the investors and the risk takers, as well as taking care of the fans. Could somebody ultimately use, let's say, um, Bitcoin or Ether or whatever the uh, other popular tokens might be to compensate artists on your platform? Or it really is it the unique characteristics of the White Rabbit token connected to smart contracts that can only be used there? Then if not, then like how would they acquire those White Rabbit tokens? Yeah, the, the White Rabbit token it kind of lies beneath the, the payment. It, it's, it's that sort of the promised pay if the rights holder accepts that way of payment or that way of that way of uh, running their their business model for each individual film or series so for us it's also been important that you know the whole world isn't on ethereum and bitcoin and the whole world don't have the wallets that are necessary so people have to be able to come in and pay for their credit cards but regardless if they have tokens already or if they have credit cards they should be able to pay for that transaction but the token when the user um, enters in their credit card and they pay with their credit card, it's still a token that gets transferred between the user and the rights holder. Does the film industry and the right, rights management in Europe differ from that in the U.S.? I know that, you know, at least in the U.S., they're obviously extremely litigious and, you know, really go after everybody. Is that different in Europe somehow? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's not that much different. It is different, of course. Uh, but it is, it, it is not that much different in the principles of IP rights. But that's why you know, the token is so important because it makes sure that the user is anonymous. It makes sure that White Rabbit doesn't know who the user is. Uh, but it makes sure that uh, no one has, uh, you know, has done anything illegal as long as the, token, the rights holder accepts the token. And if they do not then these are people who would stream peer-to-peer -peer regardless, and we don't know who they are. So there's no lit litigation there, and we haven't accepted any money unless the, uh, the rights holder has accepted the, the token and, and, and entered into a smart contract. So we're, we're, you could say we are um, keeping a safe distance for all parties until the acceptance of the uh, token and the smart contract. Does the product only work if I watch the content on my computer? I mean, I know that it's a browser plugin. Will I be able to eventually use it while I'm streaming on my like, Apple TV or Roku or uh, some other platform? I definitely uh, expect and hope that that will be the case. I think that White Rabbit has to pass the litmus test. It has to show its value. It has to be accepted by at least a, a large minor part of the industry to begin with. Uh, and uh, eventually, I hope that this business model gets recognized for what what it does in maximizing uh, IP rights. I feel today that a lot of producers and uh, distributors get kind of hung up in this. We have to protect our IP rights. IP rights are not there to protect. They're to ensure the economic incentive of those rights. And that is what White Rabbit does. It, it actually gives you, using the way the world works today, the possibility of maximizing your IP. So then is the ultimate goal for White Rabbit to be a rights management platform that's not necessarily just used for the movie industry, but can also be used for, for music and written content and many other things? Well, I mean, it's, there will be a, it's not a rights management because it's, there will be a dashboard for the rights holders, be they distributors with large libraries or producers individually, to manage their, uh, their rights. Uh, but mostly it's, it's really about bringing the fans and the filmmakers together. And I think the rabbit hole is, is a big potential there. 
in how to ensure that the fans and the filmmakers are talking together, uh, that the fans are able to always access the content. Because as far as I know, the film industry is the only business that is denying its customer the possibility of watching and buying its content, uh, which just is counterproductive. Uh, and of course, there are other industries out there. I mean, the, look at the sports industry today. Uh, I don't know how it is in the U.S., but uh, certainly English football is being streamed worldwide, not through the television, the cable networks that have bought up the rights. People are going to uh, streaming sites in order to to watch their game. And uh, if we if we again show show our worth to the the art house and the indie film industry around the world, then there's no reason why there shouldn't be other industries that are, are experiencing the same challenges to also be part of uh, White Rabbit. Definitely. So how will global net neutrality regulation affect streaming in the future and ultimately how White Rabbit is used? Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very early days. Uh, so we'll have to see, we're following this very closely, but uh, you know, I think it's I think it's a real shame that certain companies, people, interest groups, whatever it might be, have a special advantage uh, and have a access and speed advantage over others. Uh, and I think that you know, for so many years, the um, the industry that has profited the most from the, the pirating of, or the illegal streaming of content and music and films has been the, the telecompanies. Uh, who had gigabytes of of data that just flying flying around and they're charging for it, but what is their contribution? One of the big questions here in Europe is what is their contribution back to the film industry? If they're making so much money off of streaming, then they ought to give back to the people who are creating the art and the entertainment. So the, yeah, these are very very important, uh, very interesting questions that that certainly White Rabbit will begin to take an active part in that discussion. Uh, once we just get our head above water after the ICO. I think that's a great segue actually into the ICO. So regarding that, what stage are you currently in and, and how much are you trying to raise? We started off, we did a, um, a pre-sale just to sort of tip our uh, to- toes into the water uh, to see what it was like. And that was in November. <clears throat> and of course, the entire market exploded in November and December uh, with uh, you know all the crypto prices going through the roof. Uh, the cost of ICOs the same. You know, when I went first went to a conference, it was like you know fifteen hundred dollars or something like that. And now we're talking about six, seven, eight, and ten times the amount of money in order to sort of launch an ICO. As unfortunate as that could be, it's also blocking out hopefully a lot of these. Uh, yeah, we can just call them scam projects. Mm-hmm. And the the bar that's been raised over the last three four months for the um, ICOs have been, I think, very welcome. We should be able to see an MVP. There should be a very detailed white paper. There should be more than just a a website and some promises. Uh, And I think we have to raise the bar in order to to become market accepted. Uh, So we dipped our toes into the water and went very well. We barely spent any money on marketing. We've been focusing most of our resources on developing. And we will now be heading up to a few film festivals, talking to the bigger libraries held by distributors and sales agents, talking to individual producers about the uh, option that uh, White Rabbit offers. Uh, So we're looking to launch our uh, ICO, uh, or at least announce it during this quarter, and launch it during the end of this quarter, the beginning of the next. 
Do you have any sense of like how the European blockchain community compares with the US or even the rest of the world? I mean, I know that you mentioned that costs of maybe exhibiting at these conferences has skyrocketed. And, and now here, you're seeing conferences, I mean, on a weekly basis, and then events on pretty much a nightly basis. How is that reflected in, in Europe? Is it about that same sort of size at this stage? Is there as much fervor? Yeah, yeah, definitely there is, uh, uh, and it's been really exciting to see to be part of this explosion. The first time I sort of was um, in a my first conference was in Tel Aviv, I believe it was March last year, uh, and it was a fantastic mix of idealists. You know, the, you could see there was the next Steve Jobs, the next Bill Gates was hanging around there. Uh, there was also people who, you know, uh, just want to get in there and make a quick buck and, and get out again. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, I don't. I think that that is still the case. Um, I, uh, but what is most exciting to me now is getting those first uh, ICOs, those first token sales to market. Uh, you know, when we see those products getting launched on the market, that's when the blockchain, which is really what an ICO is, one way to get there. But for me, ICO is uh, a way to finance in the best way for us uh, our product. And even if that didn't work out, I would definitely, you know, go up and, and say the reason we're doing this is the blockchain. That's what offers the, the huge potential of White Rabbit. And uh, But, you know, the community has been very, very supportive and very enthusiastic. So we're quite happy with where we are now. Uh, we feel quite confident in launching our uh, ICO in the next few months. Uh, and we feel, uh, yeah, we feel we'll be able to uh, show you guys a product uh, in 2018, which will be very exciting. Nice. Yeah, actually taking a quick step back, I, I think I may have missed it, but what are you targeting for the ICO? As I mentioned, we started with Ethereum, and at the time we were looking at uh, t- um, 25,000 ETH and hoping that that would bring us $10 million, which was the valuation at the time. By the end of our uh, initial sale here, you know that was worth $30 million. So we went out to the community and said, look, the price has gone up. We had a minimum 25 ETH buy-in to the pre-sale. Uh, our community responded saying, look, we want to get in. There are so many people that we had to say no to. So we have now lowered that down to five. Uh, we have kept it our hard cap at 10 million US dollars. That's what we need to, to, uh, to deliver the product uh, with all the other potentials that we have. Because with 10 million dollars, we could not only deliver the product, we could also deliver um, some flagship films and series that could kick off uh, White Rabbit. Uh, but, you know, uh, our soft cup is $2 million US, and that's where we'd be delivering the basic plug-in uh, straight to that you would be able to use in the third quarter of 2018. And do you have a sense of how, how the legal and securities requirements are similar or different than those in the US? I mean, I know that here in the US, it's a constantly moving target and projects are racking up those legal bills at, at like record paces. And so I'm curious if those same kinds of requirements exist in Europe. The problem here is that the regulation isn't, there is no real regulation yet. Uh, so there is no, you know, the government, uh, the EU hasn't quite figured out how to deal with ICOs. What's the difference between uh, one is a utility token, not a utility token, but a security. So we spent most of our focus saying, well, what can we have an influence over and what can we not? We can't influence the EU and the regulatory bodies. 
what we can influence is what is our token. And so that's why we've been focused very much on our token being accepted as a utility token. So I, I think that the U.S. market is probably more regulated, more ready for this type of uh, situation than Europe. But uh, I think also that uh, Europe, uh, with you know such a great uh, internal market, uh, will be looking at coming out with regulations in the first uh, quarter. I believe it's the first of January 2019. Uh, but between now and then, then this market is, as far as I see, it's still not regulated. So with the challenges that we sort of outlined, I'm curious, what has been the biggest challenge or surprise that you've encountered in the process of building White Rabbit and working your way toward the upcoming ICO? And actually, when, when is your ICO? Yeah, so our ICO will be um, at the end of this quarter, beginning of this quarter. Uh, and the biggest challenges, yeah, that's good. That's very, well, the biggest challenge has been how quickly the market's been moving. Uh, one thing being, of course, as we mentioned, the crypto price. But the other one being in what is expected from an ICO. Uh, and we've been trying to be ahead of the game there, which means it's taken us a longer time. Uh, you know, I, I have some close friends who came out quick, you know, showed, uh, you know, an MVP, quite qu- a very basic MVP quite quickly, a white paper, serious people who launched in the, uh, you know, last summer. And, you know, they obviously had a huge success with that. But uh, again, I, I felt that, this market is so new. The technology is so new. Uh, doing an ICO is so new that our focus has been very much on the product itself uh, and then trying to uh, have some advisors on board. We have Greg Carson on board who has worked as a, in, in a VC himself. He's been through many an IPO. He said has his own companies that have done IPOs. So we've been trying to raise the bar for what we should deliver uh, in an ICO by trying to get as close to what an IPO would expect. Of course, IPOs are you know um, done with products that are already on market, proven business models, proven revenue. So we're still going to be different doing an ICO. But uh, I think that the, the the more we stretch after delivering that kind of quality, the, you know, the more the better it is for the community at large. Definitely. So then for those listening who are interested in starting their own blockchain business or holding ICO or frankly even getting into the movie business actually, what is the okay. best piece of advice you can offer them? Uh, well, if you're going to go into the movie business, then wait for White Rabbit uh, so that you have a, a known revenue model once you get to your digital. And that's definitely a different conversation in itself. But when it comes to the ICO uh, I, I, and, and development, focus on product. That's what I would say. Uh, focus on as much transparency as you can, uh, as much transparency, and even raise the bar there, if you will. Uh, advisors, very important. Good funding. You know, most people now are saying where we started was an ICO would cost you like 150000 U.S. Now everyone's talking a half a million to a million dollars wow. to do it. So, you know, it's a very serious uh, game if you're very serious about what you're doing. Uh, so, you know, take the time it takes, don't rush. It's not, you know, like the Klondike now where everyone's just running to buy, uh, shovels and dig. Uh, no, no, take your time, check out the landscape. Um, make sure that you have a great team, uh, make sure that you're product focused, uh, and make sure that you have a clear understanding of how you're going to deliver this product once the ICO has been completed. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to transition into our quickfire round, allowing our listeners to get to learn more about yourself personally. 
So to kick things off, what is your favorite book? Ooh, my favorite book. <laughs> what a question. I would have to say any book by Roald Dahl. Uh, oh, as, oh. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I love the cheekiness. I love how it takes kids seriously. I love the dark humor. And I love, uh, yeah, I love a good laugh when I read a book. So, yeah, Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl was my favorite author as a kid. I, I huge fan. Really, really. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't read it, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar is wonderful as his boy. It was funny. I was uh, I was in a meeting with uh, Rural Dahl's publicist uh, some years ago, and uh, she asked me what if you could choose any book to uh, to make out of uh, Rural Dahl's collection, what would you make? And I said, "Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar." Wonderful. Okay, so if if that was a doozy, I'm curious about your favorite film. Favorite film of all time, huh? Midnight Cowboy has been a huge favorite for a very long time, and of course, uh, Godfather. I have to say, is a big favorite. But I, I watched again uh, Saturday Night Fever, and I love how the social realism that meets disco at a time when disco exploded around the world. It's like the perfect meeting of uh, the social realities of uh, the main character and his friends growing up, but then sort of the freedom and the, the carelessness of disco at the same time. What makes a film great for you? Uh, that I walk out of the cinema and... That's the only thing I want to talk about. The last, last film that I saw, which that happened, was Three Billboards, if you've seen that No, film. I need to, actually. That's, a, that's on my list. Could it's be- interesting. Since I cut the cord, you know, unless it was the Super Bowl, I actually have no idea what's going out there in the world. But I do know Three Billboards has been one that you know, has been really popular. And, and I get a lot of my news now from like, sort of Twitter and, and Rotten Tomatoes and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you'll you kind of like fall off the chair. You don't believe what you're seeing or you're hearing. You're you know you're shocked, and then you begin to laugh, and then you begin to get into it, and you're like, wow, this film uh, is is challenging on so many levels, and uh, and uh, still manages to l- deliver it with you know that cheekiness of Roald Dahl, if you will, you know having that sort of the boldness and being seeing these actors trust the director director so fully is just uh, you know a beautiful experience. What do you collect, if anything, and why? Friends. The most important thing in life besides family. What's one thing you spend too much money on that you don't regret? (laughs) Traveling. Again, one of my favorites, and I can't agree more. What's a blockchain trend you do or don't want to see in 2018? Blockchain trend that I want to see begin to grab hold is how blockchain change politics. Uh, how blockchain can give power to the people, not only in business, uh, but and in art and entertainment, but actual actually the ability to change the way that the influence, the negative influence that politics and interest groups have had, uh, the negative influence of media, uh, who where there's sprung up so much media that really has no um, grounding in in wanting to tell the truth. They have a, a an agenda, and what blockchain does, it takes away that agenda, and it really gives power, the ability for power, giving power to the people and allowing them to decide their fates themselves. Interesting. That, that's actually, I want to dig into that just a moment. Would that be more of a voting mechanism, or like a vote with your dollars, or would it allow people to channel money to the things that they are most, uh, I guess, interested in? Well, to me, uh, if you were going to do that, it would have to be, you know, a foundation. It would have to be idealistically driven. It would have to be somewhere where you earn your 
tokens that don't buy your tokens. I, I think that if, if anything, the one thing that we need to get out of politics is money. Uh, if we remove the money factor, then I think that we can have more sensible debates. Uh, so I, I think that has to be the main focus is how to create a social media driven um, blockchain model that can work within the politics of today to, to change the way that we do politics, uh, that politics is run, that governments are run, that the parliaments uh, and the senates and congress are run. Uh, because right now you can vote for your politician but it doesn't mean he's going to do what he said or what you think that he was going to do. He's going to do, and I experienced this firsthand in, in Washington, D.C., he's going to do what the interest groups, the people who pay him or pay his campaign, uh, which is what keeps his job or her job ultimately. Uh, so I think if you remove the money from the equation, that's where the power is uh, uh, together with the blockchain. Well, Alan, we arrived at the point of the show where I give the platform over to you to plug anything that you like. Well, uh, I just have to say that I, people who um, invest, decide to invest in the ICO and token sale, it is a financial investment. It's also an idealistic investment. And just with uh, what we talked about, removing money from politics, I think that the more we can remove ourselves from the money and the more that we can uh, involve ourselves in the idealism of project, uh, I really encourage people to understand blockchain and then when they do, they can more understand the ICOs that are out there and what they're trying to do, how they're going to deliver, what their token means, uh, and that will be able to give them a better idea of what they should be investing in or should not be investing in. Wonderful. Well, Alan, I wanted to thank you for joining me on the show today and sharing the White Rabbit project with our audience. I really do hope that projects like White Rabbit can disrupt how makers create, distribute, and fund their films, and hopefully leading to better content for the rest of us. Again, thank you so much for sharing your story on the VentureForth podcast. Thank you so much, Joseph. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the VentureForth podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at VentureForthPod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to the VentureForth podcast.